0: in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they also heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Verse 17. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intent, longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are the, our glory and joy.
1: Well, thank you, Dennis. and. Um, I hope you noticed also in your bulletin this morning, before I get started, uh, the list of names of people that uh, have helped us go out visiting over the years to newcomers here in the community. If you were here last week, then you know that we spent some time interviewing Nick Gaspar, who... uh, enough. And we're going to see that as we work our way through this passage now this morning. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? You know what we've encountered. There's a story that's told of a a missionary to India. His name was Gordon Maxwell. He asked a Hindu scholar to please teach him his language. And this is what this Hindu scholar said. Doing, asking again, he said, No, let me clarify, said, I'm, i I'm not asking that you to listen to me share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. I'm just asking you to teach me your language. And this is what the man. weeks as we've worked our way through uh, first Thessalonians chapter 2 here in this wonderful book in the New Testament now if you've taken the time to read the book of Acts and if you've looked at took the baton and they carried it and they had a life-changing impact. It's described in this way in verse 8 of chapter 1. Hope you have your Bible open. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Look at verse 8 in chapter 1. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. These early believers had a life-changing impact on the people around them. And so we've been asking
0: ourselves the
1: question over the past several weeks as we've been we working our way along here. This, this book, we've been asking ourselves, what are the marks of a fruitful ministry? Or to ask it in another way, what are the ingredients that need to be in our lives if we're going to have an impact on other sides for the Lord Jesus Christ? And we've seen several marks and ingredients that were a part of the Apostle Paul's life and the Thessalonian believers that enabled them. I want you to notice what Paul says here in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2. As he goes on to describe now, as he defends his ministry, as he goes on to describe what their ministry was like. For you brothers became imitators of God in Judea. That's what Dennis just read for us. Which are in Christ Jesus. And you suffered... From your own countrymen. Underline that word suffered. It wasn't easy to be a Christian and to do what these people did and to say what these people said. They suffered at the hands of their own countrymen, the Bible tells us here in verse 14. The same thing those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. And they displease God and they're hostile to all men. The first thing I want you to see here in verses 14 and 15 this morning is that these people were marked by a patient endurance in the face of or in the midst of suffering and difficulty and adversity. And notice, please, that they, they suffered this adversity from their own countrymen. You know, it's one thing to be, by somebody that hates you. But it's another thing to be persecuted by someone that's supposed to like you. Somebody that's your own countryman. Persecution is painful, but it's especially painful when you're being persecuted by people that are supposed to love you, your own countrymen. In fact, literally, it's this society of your own tribe. These were people that were supposed to be their friends, fellow Jews. They were persecuted because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So their life was easy. But notice, please, that they became imitators. Do you see that word in verse 14? They became imitators of God's churches in Judea. And they were willing to suffer for their faith. Now just let your eye glance across the page at chapter 1, verse 6. And what does Paul tell us there in chapter 1? He tells us there in chapter 1 that these believers became not only imitators of the, of, the, of the churches of God in Judea, but they became imitators of Paul and his missionary team. And you remember we talked about that word in chapter 1. You remember what it means? It means to mimic. You remember having your little kids following you around in the front yard when we talk? My son, Christopher, did that when I was growing up. I'd get out there on Monday mornings, and I'd get my mom on and I'd be in my, my blue jib shorts, and I'd have my red shirt on, and he had the blue jib shorts on, and the red shirt. He wanted to be in it, just dad. And that's what Christopher did. These people became imitators, mimickers of Paul and his missionary team and the other believers, the churches of God in Judea, Judea, who also suffered for their faith. And I want to guarantee you something. And this isn't a very pleasant guarantee, but it's the truth. If you're willing to become a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're willing to stand alone, stand up for him and become an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ and live the way he wants you to live, you will suffer. That's a guarantee. Now, we don't want you to that, but that's the reality of it. And that's what Paul told us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He said, any difference, God will in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." And in John 6, 3, Verse thirty-three, he says that in this town you will have tribulation. If you remember the sermon on the mount, which we went through earlier this year, Jesus Himself said, "Blessed are you if you're persecuted, because so they persecuted the prophets before you." Persecution is just part of the process of living for the Lord Jesus Christ and standing up for Him, and sometimes it even comes at the hands of. People that we think should be loving us, and yet they persecute us instead. Now, there are two interesting Greek words in this verse of scripture that describe the persecution or the suffering that they endured. I want you to notice those two words, and I'm on the top of page two now in the notes if you're following along. The first word is the word which describes Jesus' Passover. And what did Jesus do when he went through Passover and hung on the cross? He suffered. He went through adversity and anguish. That is this word, his passion, the passion of Christ. That is this Greek word. And that's what these people went through. They they suffered. They went through Passover. They, they, They were persecuted. And the second word is an interesting word. Notice the word that they drove them out. This is the word which means to run them or to pursue out. And that's exactly what happened to the Apostles Paul. You read really the book of Acts. What did they do? They ran out of them. They drove him out. And, and if you're willing to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, there are maybe So they were disenfranchised. They were cast out or chased out. They they ran them out of town and they hunted them down. Now look back up the page at verse 13 for just a minute. And notice the little phrase at the beginning of 14 where it says, For you brothers became imitators. You see that little those two words for you? What does that refer to? Well, that refers back up the page to verse 13. He says, for you became imitators. Well, how did they become imitators? Well, well, remember what we talked about last week? We talked about the Word of God. It's the Word of God in us that changes us. You can't become a mimitor, an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ unless you're in the Word. And you know what the acid test is of being in the Word and the Word being in Being imitated. Because the Word of God, when we're in the Word, it transforms us. One man said, look to other books for information. But look to the Bible for transformation. The Bible transforms us. It transforms us into the image of our Lord Jesus. into becoming imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ and people like the Apostle Paul. Now, if you faithfully walk your talk, if you become an imitator of the Lord Jesus in the face of painful persecution, then you can be assured of three things. Number one, you are in good company. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. If people persecute you, then you're in good company. Because guess what? They persecuted Paul. And they persecuted Jesus. And they persecuted the Thessalonian Christians. You're in good company. And the second thing you can be assured of, if you're willing to be this kind of believer that leaves their mark on others, is that God will judge those who try to persecute you. Look at, verse, look at verse 16. And notice that he goes on to describe these people that were persecuting and making life difficult for these Thessalonian Christians. He says that they hindered us from speaking to the Gentiles, and Paul's talking now about himself, that they might be saved. And then he says that they they were doing this to fill up the measure of their sins, but then notice the end of verse 16, God's wrath has come on them at last. Now, just camp on that verse for a minute, because when people believe, When you're standing after the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're willing to be this kind of follower of the Lord, sometimes it's easy to want to get back and just get in. Well, that isn't fair. That's unjust. And, and so we want to make it right. But notice what the Bible tells us. God who judges, God's wrath is coming on them. His wrath will come on these people that were we're persecuting these early Christians as in the first century AD. God's going to get even with it. God will have his way on his sins. And look at the end of verse, uh, uh, verse 10 in chapter 1. What does it say? It says God's wrath is coming. And now we're talking about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to have his send. And God will have his way on his day. And God is going to turn his wrath on those who who come against uh, his people. And so you don't need to take venges in your own hands. You don't have to get anything. God's going to make it right. And God made it right with this. because the first history uh, today. Look at verse 16 again. That's very important. And then the third thing you can be assured of this morning if you're willing to be a mimicker of our Lord Jesus and and the kind of person that was passionate like the Apostle Paul, the third thing you can be uh, be assured of is that you will leave your mark on others. People will remember, even if they make fun of you, even if they get in your face and persecute you, looking at others, in Ireland, you know, there are a lot of evangelical Christians in Ireland, and you may get made fun of it, and people may persecute you, and you step out and stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. But one thing you can be assured of is that you will be. How many of you saw 2020 on Friday night and watched the program, The Girl Left Behind? Did any of you see the program about Kayla Mueller? It was advertised on the internet and it caught my eye this last week. This is a story of a, of a young lady, 26 years of age, who was picked up by ISIS in Syria back in Put in a solitary room. Anybody else I I watch the program? I came to watch it last night because I wanted to listen to her story. Now, I don't know for sure if Taylor was a born again leader. I'm not sure where she stood, but she served for this humanitarian organization. Eighteen months, and the thought of her life tells me that she must have been a follower of Christ, because they interviewed her pastor on the or program you saw before you watched it, and they talked about her. And she was caring. She was passionate. She was loving. morning is their passion for people. These early believers were passionate for people. Paul goes on to describe these brothers. He says, brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in heart or in thought, out of our intense longing for you, we made every effort, every effort again and again, to get back to you and see you because we wanted to be connected to you. Now look back up the page for just a moment at verse 7 and look at verse 11. And you remember that the Apostle Paul used the analogy of family to describe himself in his ministry to these early Christians. You remember how he described himself in verse 7? He talked about a mother with her children, and verse eleven talks about a father with his children. And now here he talks about he uses the image of an orphan, and he says we've been deprived, we've been bereaved, we've been orphaned from you, but we love you, and we've been ripped apart from you, but we want to get back to you. It's almost like the image of a of a of a parent leaving their children. Have you ever left your your children in an airport? And you're putting on a plane and they're going off the stool, and uh, you just can't help them. You just run out in tears for your children because you know you're going to be ripped apart. You're going to be separated and you, you long them and you want to be a part of them. And that's the image that, that Paul's using here that, to describe these early believers. And and that's how they cared for each other. It reminds me of the Olympic ladies' uh, uh Relay team. How many of you watched the Olympics and watch that race? Relay team. Wasn't that fantastic? That 100, 4x100 meter relay team and 4x400 four four meter relay team? Did you see what they did after they won the race? What did they do? They got together in a circle. Remember? They put their arms around each other and they prayed. Remember the praying? Obviously, have this love, this bond this for each other. And if you've ever been a part of an athletic team, a winning athletic team like a, this, this real then you know what it's like to, 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 to love the people on your team and, and you, you just want to be around each other when you're separated like you've been ripped apart. This is what Paul's describing here in this passage of Scripture. What God wants to be like here at First Baptist Church in Westerlo. It encouraged me so much this last week. I was talking with somebody, and they were just talking about how they felt like, you know. Loving each other. Now, if you're committed to this kind of passionate love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to bring another guarantee to you in this morning, and you're not going to like it, but it's, it's the truth. Look at verses seventeen and eighteen. Say. We wanted to get back to you. It was like we were ripped apart. But Satan put up a roadblock. That's what this Greek word means. It means to to tear up a road so that there's a roadblock or an impasse in order to cut somebody off. And that's what Satan did in in, in Paul's life so that he couldn't be connected to them in this way, even though that was hard. He wanted to get back to them again and again. So if you're committed... To loving your brothers and sisters in this way. I just want you to know, Satan doesn't like it. Satan will not be pleased. And Satan will do everything he can to thwart that, to destroy that, to disrupt that. Just like you the liking of Apostle Paul here. As he's talking about his passion and his love for these people. And you can see here at the bottom of page 3, if you're following along in the notes, you can see that there are other places where this word to hinder is used in the New Testament. Now, we don't know for sure how Satan hindered or roadblocked Paul in this situation. It may have been, you remember, 2 Corinthians 12, it may have been for some illness. It may have been for some other circumstance. All we know is that he was hindered. He was told. And Satan has lots of different ways that he can destroy God's work if we'll allow him to. He's got lots of different ways he wants to get in and disrupt God The good things that God wants to do in our lives. It will let All we know for sure is that he he thwarted Paul in his efforts to reconnect with these believers in this way. So expect the Lord, or pardon me, expect uh, the Lord to protect you, but expect Satan to come against you if you make this one of the goals of your life. And I just want to say something to the, the people that are going to be in the boat He's getting some good things going. Thanks to Jane and Julie and the Males and Gary and Beckham, Your efforts and Meg. We're getting a Sunday school class launch It's going to start meeting in two And you're having a fellowship together. We're going to have this meet crazy later this fall. God is starting to do some things. I'm just telling you, Satan doesn't. He's going to do everything to help Peter and disrupt what you guys are starting trying to get going Don't let him do it. And I ask the rest of you be praying for our God's work, be praying for God's work, what He wants to do in the, the life of this church right now. And then finally, the last and final mark. And incidentally, the early Christians were described in this way by Tertullian. Look, unbelievers say, how they love one another. Look how they're prepared to die for one another. And Lucian said, it's incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion, speaking of Christianity, help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator. The Lord Jesus has put it into their heads that they're brothers. They're part of the same family. They love each other. That's how these early They have passion for people. And then this last mark this morning, notice Paul's perspective on life. Paul and these early Christians had a patient endurance in the midst of they were imitators of the Lord Jesus in the face of persecution. They had a passionate love for their fellow brothers. You see that in verses 17 and 18. And then notice verses 19 and 20. Notice his perspective, his eternal perspective on life. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown, the victor's wreath in athletic games? That's what this, this word means, This crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. And now we're talking, about, this Greek word is the word parousia, which describes the coming of royalty or the visit of a king. Is it not you? Indeed, are you are our glory and our joy. And I can't help but read these verses and think of my third daughter, Stephanie, and her husband, Luke, for getting ready to move to a meeting ceremony. I don't know why anybody would ever want to live in Phoenix. I guess this is a good place to go vacation in the winter, but they tell me it's pretty hot. Well, they're getting ready to move to Phoenix, but for three years they lived in New Zealand. And while they were in New Zealand, guests to the district. and Princess Kate. And Stephanie and Luke went out in the meeting to see the day they came. The prince and the princess were kind of royal the royal and town. And there's just a good section of the church. Here Prince William the Princess Kate. And I just took my daughter and away. This word parousia is a word describes the coming it was used often to describe the coming of royalty or the visit of a king and what we have here in the last part of this chapter is a description of the coming of our king guess who's coming back he didn't just come once he's coming again our Lord Jesus Christ is returning to this planet Again, and he's going to set his feet on the mount of Olives, and it's going to split in two, and he's going to reign on this planet for a thousand years, and he will establish his kingdom. Read Psalm two. Go ahead and read Psalm two, and notice that the nations laugh and they rage, but God is laughing again because God will set his king on Zion. Jesus Christ is coming again. And that was Paul's hope. And that's our hope this morning. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter what you're going to face this afternoon or what you may be called to go through tomorrow, Jesus Christ is returning to this planet. Now notice what Paul's joy and crown and hope was. As, as Jesus as he's looking to the hope of Jesus' return. And incidentally, this word parousia that describes Jesus' coming is mentioned 16 times, used 16 times in the New Testament to describe the Lord's return. And I think the Lord's return is imminent. Yesterday, we had an ordination interview here with the soon-to-be ordained Jeff York. And we just appreciate that. Congratulations. Really good. And I asked him a question, what is it? In it? And he answered, he gave a very good answer. He said, Anytime it can happen. Anytime it's about to occur. If you read your New Testament. And you read passages like 2 Timothy chapter three verses one through five, and 1 Timothy one through three, chapter four verses one through three. I think you'll come to the same conclusion that I'm coming to—that we're living in the last days. Now, this term "last days" is a broad term, and it also describes it is it, the beginning of the essence of time, It, it describes uh, life during the first century, as well. It, they felt like they were living in the last days. But if you read Timothy chapter 4, it's like it's, it's unfolding before our very eyes. The Lord's coming is soon. It's imminent. It's about to occur. It could happen anytime. time. And when he returns for his people, and if you read chapter 1, verse 10, we will be spared God's wrath. He's coming to save his people from coming wrath. If you read these passages and you understand this passage, you notice that Paul's joy in Christ's coming was his spiritual children. The people that he invested his life in. And so I want to challenge you now this morning as we end this sermon. Invest your life in people. Whatever you do your life in peace. Regardless of your location, invest your life in peace. Because, as Max Locato said in a devotional that our chairman of our elder board gave us several years ago, and I want to read this for you if so I can find it because it's very good. He said, at the end of your life or when Jesus Christ comes again, what will you want Will you hug that college degree in the low left frame? Will you ask to be carried to the garage so you can sit in your brand new beautiful car? Will you find comfort in rereading your financial state? Of course not. What will matter then that the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of your life is equal. And you don't have to be tranquil grand, and you don't have to be a pastor who stands up front on Sunday mornings and preaches sermons in order to invest your life in people. Make people your priority. The most important thing you can do with your life is to listen to you. And to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ with people, And to share the gospel with people that you trust shoulders with you. This is the way we have a life-changing life impact. Influence on others like the Thessalonian Christians. So I'll close with this poem and then we'll close with prayer. It's a great reminder. It's up on the screen. The clock of life is wound but once. Only one life it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for life for only what's done for Christ will last. The clock of life is wound but once and no man has the power to say just when the hands will stop at later early hour. Now is the only time we own to do his precious will. Do not wait until tomorrow, for the clock may then be still. And there are ten things that God won't ask you when he returns. He won't ask you what kind of car you drove. And He's not going to ask you for the square footage of your house. No, God won't ask you about the clothes you had in your closet, And he won't ask you how, how high your salary was. What he's going to want to know is what you did with your life. Invest in thing It's need is valuable. Lord, take your word now and help us remember these final three marks of fruitful ministry. Passionate endurance. Pardon patient endurance. Passionate love. And an eternal perspective on life. It realizes that Jesus is coming soon. And the only thing that